All right, everybody, welcome back to another fascinating episode of Flagship Freedom Today. As usual, we have a fascinating guest for you. Jack V. Lloyd, the man behind the Voluntarist Comics series. And, well, if you haven't heard of it, basically, what are you doing under that rock? It's a comic series on the Internet about voluntarism, but there's so much more to the man, and that's what we want to talk about today. Uh, Jack, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So I've been really enjoying myself on the sidelines watching you just take down fascists uh, like there's no tomorrow, so-called anarcho-fascists, which is still blowing my mind that, that we're having this this split within the liberty movement, people who've cast their lot, not only with Donald Trump, that was just round one. Now we're going full on like, like open fascists. People aren't even afraid to use the word anymore. And um, I don't know, the whole thing's been incredibly... If if you can't uh, laugh, you would cry, right? That's that's how I would put it. So basically, I I also, if you've been following the series, of course, our listeners know that I have a huge, um, what's the word? I'm not going to say it, but I, I think following principles is incredibly important, uh, not only from a, a standpoint of, of communicating the message to outsiders, but also because practicality and principle are not separate. People think that, you know, you, you're either a purist or you're a guy who likes to get things done. Uh, contrary to that belief, I think the two are wed together. You can't have uh, practical results without philosophical uh, strictness, without philosophical purity. So why don't you give us a sense of, of your experience within the movement lately, why you think it's going this direction, what's with all the crazy... Uh, nonsense going on lately yeah i mean it, it's been nuts um you know what i've been watching it for a long time and you know there was people who were talking about this early on well before trump was elected president um i think that jeffrey tucker had noticed it and a lot of people dismissed him said oh you're just a leftist or you're just a communist for trying to put down trump supporters and things like that um but he had noticed that there were some people who really seem to have an interesting fervor um, for implementing policies via force and threatening people via force. Um, and personally, I didn't think too much of it. I just was like, yeah, it's the usual left-right paradigm. I see the usual coattails of you know people riding on whoever is being successful. And I saw that kind of um, arrogance and pompousness you know, with Trump and people who uh, kind of reveled in that, uh, people who like to be um, bullying or who like to you know put down people um, and be smug in how they present themselves. There's definitely like an air about that, but I didn't really think too much of it in terms of it being like a material problem because to me, you know, when you're voluntarist and ANCAP, uh, you know, it doesn't matter that cult of personality, the principles still remain the same. You still scrutinize, you know, the person um regardless of the cult of personality you look at what they do you look at their policies and this or that uh, but i noticed that as things went on obviously there there ended up being a cult of personality that was very strong and i think there's a lot of people who connected to trump in this type of uh stable father figure mentality and they saw him as this kind of like powering you know this powerful force uh that was kind of the steady rock for them psychologically and a lot of people latched onto that 
um, that idea that oh this guy could be the you know the real guy that makes a difference and you know this is it and I think you saw that um, with Stefan Molyneux who after many years of you know practically being apolitical uh, started to join in on the political process and supported Trump uh, kind of in this mentality that Trump is the you know last saving grace before Western civilization is lost that was kind of Stefan's Molyneux stepping out of line with his own principles and his you know words were to the effect you know when you see new evidence you know you have to change your mind to that evidence you know when it's sufficient um but again you know he started in many ways some of that chain reaction that um trickled down to the rest of other people within the liberty movement and I think that there are several people who then hinged on that um who had minor followings um, but who played to that crowd and that audience. And unfortunately, in doing that, they ended up also attracting a lot of people who were, you know, genuine, you know, racist, fascist, not like, oh, the general term that, you know, leftists call people and stuff like that, but like literally think, you know, government force um, is good and that it's a necessary precursor to whatever next step they see as a, as a solution. In other words, they want government to enact violence. They want government to um, enact a type of purging on their behalf. Um, and, you know, that happened all across the spectrum from people who are your traditional white supremacists um, and people like Chris Cantwell going and giving a speech with National Socialists. Um, you know, it happened with people who were seemingly very ANCAP, like that guy T who started to, you know, I don't know if I can say the word here. Is it, is it okay to say cuss words on the yeah, show? Yeah, whatever you want. Okay, so, okay, cool. <laughs> make sure. uh, but, you know, uh, shitpost, you know, things and then eventually – you know, they, they had jokes, but then they turned jokes into an intellectual experiment for themselves. You know, so one thing led to another, and now they're arguing for, the, for fascism for the sake of intellectual curiosity. And then many people who went that path, you know, didn't let the joke die or didn't let the curiosity die. They kept running with it. And even now, you know, someone like, you know, that guy T, like, kind of has somewhat distanced himself a little bit from that. I've seen in recent videos. But the effects, you know, have been fully formed and many people are now arguing for and advancing this idea that it's acceptable to use government violence to uh, purge people or to attack people for this greater goal of supposedly preserving Western civilization against what would otherwise be migrant hordes and different races of modest to low IQ or people who are supposedly more prone to violence coming into Europe or coming into United States and make it impossible to supposedly, you know, vote for something that um, is a more libertarian future. And so they have this concept pitted um, that this is like the last great stand and anybody who gets in the way of this stand is just a communist or leftist. And, you know, and, and what I've seen, most of these people who are in this are largely um, – ignorant of their own assumptions about their beliefs and have largely ignored the nature of government and affecting the outcomes that they use to judge whether this is something that is a greater harm than government. And that's where it becomes unprincipled is the idea that there is some harm that is a greater threat than government that requires government to solve in some way. And so these people have abdicated principled positions uh, for this expedient short-term solution um, and it's it's largely based in sophistry and ignorance on uh, you know government law, government intervention history, and history as to other peoples around the world who have been affected because of government policy. You touched on so many 
rabbit holes that I want to dive down <laughs> at the same time. But that was right. a an incredibly accurate and well-rounded description of of how the movement has evolved. And that's exactly how I've watched it. Like it first started, like you said, with Stefan Molyneux. And for those who may not be familiar with the guy, this was like the ANCAP on the internet. The guy, he had a huge influence on me. I mm. donated hundreds of dollars to this guy. I practically worshiped him. And it was incredibly troubling for me to see this guy, like Trump video after Trump video. I'm like, what is this? Like, I hate politics. And you told everybody, you didn't even vote for Ron Paul <laughs> on the principled stance because he he's a guy who's, who's trying to change the system from within. And, uh, you know, that's fine as long as we're consistent. And I remember Stefan Molyneux said, if you don't defool your family uh, over anarchism, like, in other words, if your family aren't all anarchists and, and then you still associate with them, you don't have anything to do with libertarianism. He said that. And I'm like, okay, that's a pretty tough pill to swallow. Like, I don't think that's necessarily true. But, hey, if you're going to be that principled, uh, I can get behind that. And now the guy is full on donald trump worship it's like wow i i can't imagine the humiliation uh you know just looking back at your own work so that's been a complete mind-bending experience for myself i know a lot of other people have been kind of left in the lurch feeling a strong sense of betrayal but in any case like you said um it, it seems to be this false dichotomy between principles and pragmatism and, and that's what is really annoying. They'll say things like, I know uh, the state's evil. We know that everything the state does is is uh, aggressive in nature. But but like you said, it's our last stand. This is with if we don't close the borders off right now, Western civilization could collapse and it could never recover. That's literally like the doomsday scenario that they've presented us with. I personally believe that's a false dichotomy and that's conveniently always the excuse that you get from status is that this is it guys we got to raise the debt ceiling or we're screwed uh, you know now is our absolute last chance but um and i'm sorry i don't want to hog the uh the conversation because you're the guest here after all but uh have to touch on a couple other things you said so then like my personal belief is that stefan uh had a huge key pivotal role in the movement like you said uh christopher cantwell that guy T, uh, a few of the low-hanging fruit, the dominoes, the people who basically took their uh, talking points from Stefan, who, and you could tell, you know, watching them over time, they were basically unoriginal um, characters, you could say, figureheads. Uh, they they didn't have the spine to stand up to any kind of scrutiny or uh, or stand on principles. So it just felt like dominoes, and it's it's been really frustrating. Uh, to watch this entire time, but oh, where do I want to go with this next? Everything <laughs> you've said has been like exactly my experience. So why don't we talk about the idea that um, that we have to sacrifice principle? Is it ever justified? To do we ever draw the line and say, okay, you know what? Um, where we've we've gone up to as far as we can go. Like, let me give you a hypothetical. Let's say you were on the brink of war, and and you want to be principled and you say, look, I don't I believe in using the government military because it's funded on taxation, which is coercion, and it's an arm of the state, a criminal organization. But we've built up this big military and this big conflict has generated all this momentum. What do we do now? We have to protect ourselves. We have to defend ourselves. So 
how do you know when it's right to use the state to violate the non-aggression principle? Uh, do we ever have to put ourselves in that situation, or can we always rely on principle? I don't think that it's ever necessary to, um, you know, violate principle in order to, you know, carry forward with human history. To me, it's a matter of how can we advocate the principles consistently and also suggest solutions that are themselves principled. Principled solutions are solutions that reduce, you know, or eliminate government interference in the lives of, you know, as many people as possible, right? That's the idea is we want government not acting. That's an ideal state. Privatization of things can happen after, of course, but the first fundamental issue uh, that violates this nature um, as far as what we think about as this aggression that's happening is the nature of government. And so, you know, that's where I take a little bit of a different approach than some of these other people who are focused on property rights. I see the state as being this precursor to this mass violation, not so much as, oh, we need to figure out everybody's property rights from the onset, um, which, you know, where, where I focus is saying, okay, for the next steps in order for things to get better, we need to think about how we can meaningfully opt out of government or use whatever political powers there are to reduce government. Um, and ultimately, I think the best solution is to find ourselves in a situation where the market makes government obsolete because that's the whole premise here that we're relying on is that you know with these ethics in mind um, we don't need a state ultimately and if we believe in our principles then we would believe that market solutions will arise if not prohibited by violence from the government and so to me Whatever issues, you know, may arise in the future, you know, they'll arise, whether it's, you know, war or any types of mass harms, you know, an asteroid hitting or hurricanes, typhoons, terrorism, whatever it is. But those things are a lesser harm to the general harms of government in terms of what government actively presently does. The, you know, the, it's very incomparable when you think about the nature of government and what governments around, <clears throat> sorry, around the world have done compared to many of the mass harms that are alleged from different types of either groups or natural phenomena. And it, I find it very difficult for anybody to meaningfully critique the nature of government in a compared to what sense. Um, if you count the bodies of those who have died in just the 20th century alone due to uh, government-funded wars that, from what I've observed, could not have really happened in a way that was so devastating if it wasn't for government. The, you know, the Manhattan Project itself to fund the uh, first atomic bomb was a 27 billion dollar project you know just for inflation 130,000 people worked on it for you know many years 30 years about um this is a scale of power and destructive power and a cost that doesn't lend itself to a market incentive so you know what we're dealing with here is this very horrific beast called government and curtailing that beast's power and eventually eliminating it toward you know, zero, I think, is is a much greater threat than any alleged threat uh, that could be you know said that's facing humanity um, in terms of whatever type of geopolitical conflict or or natural phenomenon generally. So you know, to me, that's why I always focus on principles and look for solutions where the market is allowed to replace government um, and do so in a way that's not disruptive to people's lives. Uh, that is, you know, market actors, but disruptive to government's lives, um, just like Uber, or Airbnb, or anything else that disrupts the government's schemes to control.
you know, speaking of that, you, you mentioned the atomic bombs in World War II. That, I think, is a really great example of how people, uh, like when I debate with people on the internet, like, was it really necessary to kill hundreds of thousands of innocent people? They're always so, like, yep, oh yeah, I know for sure. We had to just melt all those people. We had to do it. Right. Because uh, otherwise it would have been a ground invasion and many more people have died. It's this, like, ironclad um, talking point that can never be challenged. And what I personally believe is that what's coming first are people's uh, biases and their own narratives that they like to cling to and not an honest evaluation. Uh, and the reason I say that is like anytime we, we grant ourselves uh, the ability to violate principle, like to murder, for example, all of a sudden we become a lot less creative when it comes to not murdering innocent people like anytime you're talking about the the side effects of war it's always justifiable it's always well you know this is war and war is hell and you know that's just the way it is it's like you know what if you took the approach of it's never okay to kill an innocent person all of a sudden you become very creative in your ability to mitigate conflict but all of a sudden it's sort of like if you give somebody a huge warehouse they're gonna fill it up um, rather quickly. If and if you start shrinking that down to a little office space, um, all of a sudden they find very creative ways to deal with the problem. But but when you have it available, it just becomes this very convenient catch-all. Like oh yep, can't get be creative, can't think of any sort of um, flexible solution. We just have to go to the state. It, it's just the catch-all. Um, so to bring that to modern day, a modern day example, the probably the hottest debate is the border and immigration debate. Right. Conveniently, nobody seems to care about the economic effects of closing the border, uh, the rights violations of everybody who lives uh, in this geographical area of the country. Uh, they, they, the people who are supposed to be the champions of economics forget that trade and free flow of labor is is what makes a free market but no it, it seems like i was saying earlier i think it's just a manifestation of people's uh biases or of their their bigotries like you know with people like christopher cantwell the guy uses the word nigger and 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 kike and all this derogatory race based um hate basically he hates people based on their race you can tell the way he talks mm -hmm. his anger uh his negative energy. So it's like that. That's my personal opinion. I don't know what you think, but it's it's people not wanting like like when you detach from principle, they'll come up with any excuse to to enact their uh, basically to get their way, and they'll thinly hide it behind the the veil of the doomsday scenario. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. Once you've abandoned principle as an absolute then there are unlimited ways that you can argue for pragmatism. You know what I mean? Once you open that door, there is no limit. It's everyone's subjective view about what's a greater harm, who's a threat, making generalizations about people, conveniently accepting certain parts of history, and then conveniently ignoring certain parts of history to fit your narrative about why it's a greater harm. And, and to me, that is a huge uh, intellectual problem. And of course, it's a huge problem when when you're trying to get people to, as a whole, move toward a more principled state because people who are principled, it doesn't matter what comes up politically, 
you know, geographically in terms of uh, geopolitics and this or that, if people are principled to begin with, then it doesn't matter what comes along because they're going to approach every single issue with principles first. And they're going to vote or not vote, act or not act with those principles in mind. But if you introduce into someone's mind pragmatism um, as an opportunity, well, now everything that comes across their plate becomes a pragmatic thing. And there's an unlimited number of subjective things that you could you know, stick in there and weasel your way in to say, oh, well, you know, I can abandon principles on this because of whatever you know, rationale, rationalization comes up in your mind. And I've seen that in many ways um, argued for those who try to advocate fascism as a, you know, either a passing point, as one person says, passing the eye of fascism, or as a necessary point um, in order to have a libertarian society because they see it as, well, you know, the government's controlled by the left. Of course, you know, this left-right paradigm in terms of the state is a, is a fiction. But they see it as controlled by the left, and then their rationale is, well, if the state's controlled by the left, we can use the government to purge them out because, well, they don't believe in property rights. So since they don't believe in property rights, well, there you go. That's enough to say you know, they don't hold their principles consistently, so we can use the state against them. In fact, we can even use our own violence against them if we see them in the public square because you know, they're, they're leftists or communists or whatever label they want to use without you know, any individual uh, nuance and belief. And it becomes this rationalization of, oh, okay, you're less than human. You you don't deserve to be reasoned with. You don't deserve to be uh, talked with, spoken to, respected in any way. Um, and I've seen this rhetoric come a lot from people who, you know, it's it's the same thing. They start with, oh, it's just a shit post. Oh, it's just a joke. Um, when it comes a pattern where it's like you keep doing that. And then you're also coming up with ideology as ser- you know serious ideology and saying, well, you know, the ideas that you're shitposting about are now your rationale. You know, the, the cover is up. Um, and I, I think that that's what happened for me is I kept on, you know, in my experience, seeing the same tropes come about of people saying they're shitposting or saying they're making a joke. But then their following is like, oh, no, I, I love that. I love that. <laughs> and it, it, it's just this very toxic, two-faced situation where people are, on one hand, pretending that they're just joking. But in the background, they're serious about it. They're like, it's a joke, but unless it works out or unless I get enough followers, ah, now it's not a joke. And that's and that's how it's it's grown. It's grown as it's a joke until it's serious. And it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, you know, someone's joking, you know, sexually with somebody. It's like, oh, hey, want to go make out? Just kidding, unless you're not, that kind of thing. It's like, oh, hey, want to go to start a fascist state? Oh, just kidding, unless you're not. It's it's that same <laughs> kind of mentality. And of course, I'm not saying like I love jokes. I make I make shit post jokes. I make Jokes of all kinds all the time. I'm not saying that I'm somehow hands clean on this, but I, I'm, I would think that based on everything I say and everything I do, regardless of the jokes I make or the comics I make or the you know memes I make, that I'm always principled with what I do or, or say otherwise, that nothing's ever changed on principles or stuff like that, no matter what humor I take. And that can't be said of these other people. These other people who are sitting there and saying, "Oh well, we really do believe our case selection theory." Uh, oh yeah, we really do believe that Jews are just you know all leftist communists um, who deserve to be you know executed. Oh, you you support open borders or you know some other pet policy. Oh, you're also a communist now. Well, what do you think they believe about communists? Well, communists don't believe in property, so they could just use violence against you. And oh, we're just joking until you know we see you in the streets or until our ideas get so big that oh it doesn't matter. They're just you know, it's the same thing. It's what it's this 
this uh, almost like government does. This left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, but they, their hands are both there. Mm-hmm. So you know that's my big beef with it, and that's what's led to my you know intentionally calling it out at this point. Yeah, you know, I I have noticed a very similar phenomenon with what I call the, the sort of culture, with this whole obsession with trolling and the sarcasm. Uh, even even so far as to I've noticed the exact same words keep popping up. There's a few key insults. There's cuck, which has <laughs> skyrocketed. I'm sure if you did a Google search, you'd see a huge spike about a year ago to this day. There's also um, snowflake, SJW, uh, salty, salty referring to like when you cry and you get salt water in your eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of these accompanied with, of course, that Pepe the Frog meme. And it's it's complete. It's like all icing and no cake. It's like uh, the, the level of sarcasm and trolling is ex- starting to exceed the actual, like, are you are you trying to make a real argument? Because I will engage that. And then, like you said, it's always so convenient for them to hide behind it. They say, oh, I I didn't, uh, or they'll, they'll say something like, why are you so triggered? I'm, I'm just being sarcastic. It's like, no, you, I've seen enough of your posts to start to gather a consistent, cohesive worldview. And I can tell that you no longer abide in principle. So are you willing to stand behind that or not? And I've just been really disgusted uh, with the the number of people who've just kind of broken off the movement into this like you said, this bullying uh, subculture and almost uh, more so just because it's so unoriginal and so thoughtless. I'm watching them like lemmings, all using the same insults, all using the same tactics. It's like you guys are not trying to do the right thing. You're just trying to establish a cult of personality. It's the same thing that, you know, the hysteria behind Trump, you know, build the wall, build the wall. <laughs> uh, what was the other chant? Um Deport the Mexicans? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that. Where it just becomes this mass hysteria, this culture, and you watch people get swept up into a culture. And now, having seen it firsthand, it's no surprise to me that things like this have happened, you know, in Nazi Germany, uh, where people just, they become de-individualized, uh, if that's the right word. Basically, they don't think for themselves. They, they, it becomes this hive mind sort of thing. And uh, I, I've noticed the exact same thing, and it's time to start calling it out. And that's why I really appreciate your little crusade over here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there, there's one of us for every hundred of them, but you know, it, it's going in dangerous directions. I hate to sound cliche, but you're seeing all of the exact same uh, bigotries starting to develop. Uh, all of a sudden, it's no longer taboo to start. Um, noticing or obsessing or fixating on the fact that people are Jewish and they put this like parenthesis around people's names uh, <laughs> and like there's there's too many coincidences there's got to be something going on it's like you really think there's a Jewish conspiracy like do Jews all have first of all is it the religion or the race do they have a big convention where they talk about how they want to destroy the world like it's <laughs> so inconceivable and and ridiculous and unlikely that this has to be fueled by hate uh, it, which is my personal opinion. Right. Well, I mean, I this may shock you, but there are Jewish conspiracies um, as far as different types of groups within, you know, historically, you know, Abrahamic, um, you know, Judaism, people who are, you know, uh, of the actual clan of the 12 tribes. There is a culture 
related to that, especially around a couple of issues. Um, and what I would, you know, particularly talk about is, for example, when people talk about like, oh, banking and Jews, the big one to be looking at would be the Rothschild family, um, which is, of course, one of the largest banking cartels in the world. Of course, Jewish owned and their family is extremely influential and powerful. Um, do they do things to influence policy across the globe? Oh, absolutely. Um, do they do things as far as funding both sides of different wars and stuff like that since like, you know, Napoleonic era? Yeah. Um, but there's differences among different types of people, obviously. And the problem that I have is when people try to say it's all of this entire race, even though there's just different types of sects or groups who are Jewish or you could, you know, pick another, you know, culture people. But there are themes, there are stereotypes, there are motifs. You know, like Zionism, the idea of Israel having a right to uh, a state and a homeland and the people who center around that, you know, and the people who fund that. There is, you know, cabals of people in power who work toward that end, um, especially post, uh, you know, um, World War II era, making sure that Israel gets funded by lobbying and this or that, you know, APAC and stuff like that. But again, just because there are people who are about Israel doesn't mean that there are people who are not also against you know, government who are Jewish and stuff like that or who don't like what the government of Israel does, just like the people in America don't like what um, you know, the government does. And so to me, why I have a sp- particular problem with what they've been doing, you know, especially around this fascism issue, is that it's, it's rejecting individualism or individual analysis – for sweeping together large group of large groups of people, and there's no even intellectual side to that. You know, there's something to be said about okay, let me re-investigate the Holocaust and look at what happened and was it exaggerated? What was actually known and this or that. There's a difference between saying that and then just saying, oh well, everyone who's Jewish is a you know part of this conspiracy and wants to kill you and they're all leftists stuff like that. And to me, that's the kind of rhetoric where it steps out of intellectual curiosity and analysis and turns into you know this. Uh, collectivism that's meant to get people rallied to enact violence against groups of people. You know, and that happened obviously starting, uh, especially the Trump campaign. The first focus there was just everyone who was Mexican is just a welfare whore and needs to be deported and stuff like that. No individual analysis into, you know, the individual person, whether the person's, you know, maybe been here for 30 years and they own property, but they're not a citizen or someone who's just stuck across the border and wanted to have a baby in California. Again, just because you're Mexican doesn't mean that you're some evil person who just wants to be on welfare, this or that. You know, tons of, of them, as I personally have, you know, met or worked with over my life, you know, work hard, want to just make money because it's better here, and they send money home to family and, and will even move back to Mexico after making a certain amount. So that's to me the big crux. Right. It, it's like what it's one thing to notice a trend, and that's fine, but it's it's never for the purpose of. Uh, you know, constructive ends. It's always, okay, look, I'm seeing a pattern. Therefore, we have a problem with Jews and or black people or Mexicans or immigrants. It's right. not like, I, I'm always wondering, okay, so you notice this trend. So now what? What is your solution? Is your solution to round them all up and gas them? Uh, because like, it's, it's fine to notice trends, but I'm interested in what you want to do next. And that is the that's where the power of principle comes in is that you don't have to worry about all this shit all these racial groups and all these trends while they may be you know instructive uh and helpful to learn from they don't justify violating the rights of the individual 
So while you may notice, you know, there there's a problem with, you know, the uh, religion of Islam worldwide, that doesn't mean you get to go out and round up all Muslims. That just right. means, okay, we, we're using this um, categorization, this convenient grouping, which is or this pattern matching, which is what people do. That's uh, what the human mind is geared towards, is noticing patterns. But then, of course, that doesn't give you a license to kill. You have to fall back on principle and say, hey, uh, you know, what am I going to do about this problem that there are collectivists in the world and how can I not become a collectivist myself? But they never seem to, it's always just this, you know, I, I lurk around some of the darker corners of the internet just cause I, I'm very interested. You know, I'm watching ISIS videos and, and things like that. And there's never any solution. It's always just, Oh look, ISIS is funded by the, the global Zionist shadow conspiracy. And it's always just this, perpetual never-ending uh, and growing conspiracy theory that everybody has so much confidence and conviction and they just know it was a false flag attack uh, organized by the Jews but um, it's like okay if first of all that's ridiculous uh, peddling to your your own superstition and uh, bias in my in my humble opinion but secondly uh, you better not tell me you're about to go round up all Jews because I will oppose you and I will fight you I will use violence against you because I have friends and family of all colors and creeds. I have an employee who's Jewish. He's a brilliant guy, incredibly smart. Um, my wife is a different race than I. I've dated people of different race than myself. Why are we backsliding? Why are we going back in time and fixating on things that people have no control over? So I share your frustration, absolutely. Right, and that's a big product too of government itself because government is funding certain select groups of people on both sides of, of wars and they're intentionally uh, funneling things through for the sake of disrupting things for geopolitical power moves and that has happened you know many times over especially in the middle east you know charlie wilson's war and the mujahideen the 53 coup um you know in modern times uh, they were funding rebel fighters before they became isis uh with assad you know trying to uh, remove them from power even under obama so, I mean, you know, this whole idea that these people are just evil or radicalized or this or that without any context to the history of what governments have done in terms of playing political cards, you know, toppling dictatorships um, and, you know, funding different types of fighters and this or that or killing people or injecting them with whatever kind of horrible thing that government's done, whether it's, you know, Ecuadorians and giving them, you know, viruses or, you know, Tuskegee Airmen syphilis or whatever – you know, people are ignoring how much government has affected the growth of people, especially in the second and third world. Um, and I, it just surprises me that nobody sits there and says, oh, OK, they did these studies. But did they account for, you know, doing these intelligence tests with government factored? Like nobody looks at that and says, oh, you know, I wonder what would happen if they didn't get bombed, you know, and have, you know, three different um, dictatorships or this or that toppled or, you know, different regimes coming through because of government intervention. Um, especially because of U.S. government intervention, or if the U.S. government wasn't, you know, running drugs, you know, Iran Contra and destabilizing families, you know, or selling crack cocaine to L.A. in the '80s, or whatever it is. There's so many different things. I mean, the list can go on and on and on forever of the things that the government has done, especially United States government, and of course Israeli government as well. It's you know, not innocent or anything like that. Um, but every government, you know, if you look at their back history, there's going to be some stories there that you're going to find where you realize that. 
what you know, if you're just using a dipping stick to measure in what's happening with people now and ignoring the whys and ignoring the history, well, you've missed why it is the way it is. And to me, um, that's especially problematic and intellectually dangerous because you know people put themselves in this mindset that oh well they just can't be reasoned with see that's just the way they are they dehumanize others and they try to say that you know they're beyond reason they are selected or whatever and so they pit up this wall this intellectual wall um and make it seem like as if oh no you know nobody can change if you're not you know already european descent or something of that nature and it's really sick um and uh, i think very um uh, arrogant because I would guarantee you most of the people who are talking here about these about these points didn't grow up with it. Very few people grew up with true voluntarist or small L libertarian parents. It's very rare that your parents were that. It's very often your first generation, especially these days, of someone who's discovered that. So that means that at some point uh, you were ignorant, you were wrong, yet you don't want to be judged and murdered based on your wrong thinking just because – you know, you hadn't had the chance to hear it even yet. And I think that's a big problem is that, you know, they're trying to shut off people from even being able to hear these ideas um, and engage in the market, engage in the, the market of ideas as well, you know, with liberty. So that's where this, I think, comes to a head for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's very humbling when you realize, like, I, I always like to make fun of myself and say, hey, I voted against in 2008 against the legalization of medical marijuana back when I was voting wow. for McCain um, and I was totally butthurt over Obama. Uh, <laughs> and that was mostly based on just, you know, my intuitions that I didn't like, uh, you know, the concept of the welfare state. When, and I still don't. You know, there was, I wasn't completely lost. However, I, I certainly supported things which are absolutely objectively evil. Like I, I was cheering behind the jailing of innocent people. And that's a very humbling thing to realize like holy shit i was if there were a war uh or something of that nature, if there were an armed conflict i could be shooting myself in the face like that's that's what i i always like to remind myself like hey before you pick up the gun before you advocate doing something horrible you could be shooting your brother uh or your mom or your dad so you better think twice so i suppose on that grim note what is the solution we've discussed the problem uh, what's the best way forward and, and how do we get ourselves out of this mess and how do we pave the way for liberty in the future? I mean, for me, the, you know, it, it's just promoting principles. I have no idea what the future is going to bring. I have no idea what type of crazy government scheme plan, natural event can happen that could just, you know, it doesn't matter what I do. Like I can't control the future. All I can do is if I've discovered principles about liberty I can share them. That's about what I can do, you know, and I can share them to whoever is willing to listen. And I think that if people just take that approach um, and try to inject it in as many places as possible, then those other people, when presented with new dilemmas, you know, ethical dilemmas, voting dilemmas, whatever it is, if they're applying principles consistently, you don't have to worry. You know what I mean? Whatever comes along, if pe more and more people are becoming principled because they understand what it means to really be truly free – you know, whatever, like the future is going to be fine. You know what I mean? It, it's going to be okay. Um, but, you know, if people are not spreading things with clear communication, it's going to be the same old, uh, you know, very vicious cycle of, you know, oh, we got to vote this time for this thing, or we got to, you know, sell ourselves short, or we got to, you know, have these alliances with these Republicans or Democrats or whoever is trying to, you know, get the vote and compromise. 
Uh, you know what I mean? And that's just ridiculous. There's no reason that anyone who uh, who has come to an, a true understanding of the principles of liberty and self-ownership um, has to go halfway or, or compromise. You know, that's it. You don't have to anymore. You don't have to vote if you don't feel, you know, like that's ethical. You can vote if you have an opportunity to, um, you know, reduce government influence or something like that. Um, you don't have to participate in counter economy or, you know, outside the state, but you could. You know, you could starve the state. You could invent something that lets people, you know, like Bitcoin or something, you know, related to that type of idea. Um, you know, you could do things uh, that promote liberty and spread liberty and make it easier for people to live outside of, you know, the mandates um, and control of the state. And to me, you know, that's the foundation. I mean, I, I do have a personal idea about okay, what could be a better way for government to be um, eradicated in terms of an idea, but. You know, I, I can't even control that. You know, I, I I've come up with this thing called a not for profit government model. Um, but again, you know, it it's about as likely as, you know, there's World War Three for that to happen, probably. Or, uh, you know, the government goes into mar- martial law or the state collapses or whatever. I mean, you know, so I agree. Basically, principle should be our guiding light. Nobody has a crystal ball, although they all love to act like they do as uh, somebody who had. A, a very difficult time becoming an engineer. I, when I'm presented with problems, I always try to sit there and just intuition my way through it. Like, okay, you have a ball. It was launched at 30 degrees at 10 meters per second. Where is it going to land? <laughs> and it's, no matter how hard you try, you are not going to figure it out unless you have the tool called consistent principle and you apply these incremental truths that you know to be true at like like F equals M A the acceleration due to gravity <laughs> and before you know it you have the right answer and you didn't it, it you could have been blind but you had this guiding light that was holding your hand walking you through and you came out on the right side so that's what I would leave our viewers with is an urge to stick to principle even though it may seem you know that we're going into uncharted territory um, you know in the long term. All we can do is is try to do the right thing, and, and as opposed to navigating our way through the minefield based on our gut feel, which seems to be the the uh, trend of the day. So, in any case, thank you so very much, Jack, for your time. Uh, really appreciate people like you. I feel like I can trust you. I could I could put my life in your hands, and there's very few people who I feel like that. I've never met in person, but I know that you would always do the right thing in every situation. There's you. There's Larkin Rose, there's Adam Kokesh, people who I feel like like a brotherhood with, even though we've never even spoken in real life. So you're doing a great service, and as I always like to say uh, to the select few, generations from now, people will look back and smile on you, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. You'll be a hero for them. So thanks for everything you do. Oh, of course. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.